God will deal with the world. The world will stand before God someday. But God wants to clean his own house. He wants his own house in order. So one of the reasons that he gives for us is that a church that does not exercise church discipline, individuals of the church who do not exercise church discipline, they bring about a manner in which the name of Christ is tarnished and the effectiveness of the church is weakened. Listening to Cross Connection with Pastor Jay Fulton of Cross Connection North Jersey. Join us as Pastor Jay teaches through the book of 1 Corinthians. We often hear the phrase thrown around, don't judge me. According to the word, it really depends on who's saying it. People in the world will be judged by God, and so we need to focus all our efforts on guiding them to salvation. However, when it comes to a brother or sister in Christ, it's our job to call them out. In today's teaching, Pastor Jay shares on how church discipline works and why it's so important. God will deal with the world soon enough, but first, His church shouldn't look like the world. Now here's Pastor Jay with part one of his message titled, The Importance of Church Discipline, part two. So here in this section, Paul is continuing, giving instruction to this church at Corinth with this corrective letter. The church at Corinth, they were given over to worldly thinking, worldly appetites, worldly behavior. And Paul is seeking to encourage and to exhort them to turn away from that, to abstain from that. And we had saw in the first part of the chapter that the church is supposed to exercise church discipline. And we are looking at and trying to uncover what the Bible has to say concerning church discipline and the importance of church discipline. One of the things that was laid out for us is that the church should have a threefold response to sin in the camp. That one, our hearts should mourn over sin. We should be broken over sin. And that we should judge it for what it is. We should judge the sin for what it is. And then we're to purge it if it's unrepentant. If the sin is unrepentant, then it's to be purged from the ranks of the church. And this is what Paul is writing. Paul had established this church. And this church was set up in a pagan culture and they were very carnal. And being relatively new believers, some of the things they had questions over, they weren't knowledgeable about how to deal with certain matters in the faith. And so Paul is going to instruct them concerning these things. But one of the things that they should have known was that they should not have been proud of, should not have been boasting in sin, that they should have been broken over it. And when he begins that first verse here in chapter five, he begins with a word that gives the indication that they should have known better. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. That this is not something that is done in secret. This is something that is being broadcast. This is something that is being proclaimed in your midst. And you guys, rather than mourn, you are proud. You are boasting in it. You are puffed up in this matter. 
And they should have mourned over that. And Paul begins to give this prescription for how to deal with that. And one of the things that he gives to them, he gives to us, he says, for the person that is unrepentant, then that person needs to be delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the purpose of church discipline, again, it's not to make enemies. It's not simply to ostracize someone for the sake of it, but it has a twofold purpose. It is designed so that the individual, the offender can be brought back into relationship, can be restored into that place of fellowship with the body of Christ. But it also serves as a safeguard, a protectant for the body itself. Because Paul would say here, like he does in Galatians, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if any of us have raised kids, we know what that is like. We know what leaven is like. And you don't need a lot of leaven. You can take a pinch of leaven and leave it in dough and it will metastasize, it will grow. And in the morning you will have a loaf, a ball of dough that is full of leaven, full of yeast. And so this is what Paul is bringing us to do. And he begins in verse nine. And he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul is referencing here an earlier letter that he had written. We do not know what letter that is, but apparently it was a letter that set out to give some instruction to cause them and to call them to separate from those who would be sinning, but they had interpreted it in some way to mean that they couldn't be involved with people of the world, that they were to isolate themselves. But what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about judging, not those who are outside, but judging those who are in the church. God will deal with the world. The world will stand before God someday. But God wants to clean his own house. He wants his own house in order. So one of the reasons that he gives for us is that a church that does not exercise church discipline, individuals of the church who do not exercise church discipline, they bring about a manner in which the name of Christ is tarnished and the effectiveness of the church is weakened. People will look at the church, will look at you, for a testimony concerning God. In fact, it's been said that you are the only epistle that some people might ever read. They will read your lives. They may not open a Bible, but they will look at what we profess and what we say, and they will look at our lives. The Bible speaks of us as living epistles. We are living before the Lord. And so what Paul is speaking of here, he's not talking about isolation, but he is talking about separation. And By separation, he means not to be contaminated with the world. It's not to have contact, but it means do not be contaminated. We've heard the expression, we are in the world, but not of the world. And this is what he's referring to. And this idea here where he says in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. That seems harsh. That seems mean. And this idea of keeping company, it means to not get mixed up with or to not associate intimately. And eating meals 
back in that day, it was a very social thing. It was a sign that we accept you, we accept this person. The Jews understood this in Jesus' day. Remember, Jesus was accused of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And so they understood the relationship of that. But this idea to have a social acceptance of sin, this is what he's speaking about. That we are not to become contaminated, we are not to align ourselves with those kinds of things. Why? Because again, the church is being examined. And so Paul is speaking to them, he's speaking to the church in Corinth about the relationship of the church to that of the world and to that of sin. And he's saying here that you will come into contact with those that are of the world, but I am specifically speaking of those in the household of God who name the name of Christ, who say that I am a believer, but who live in unrepentant habitual sin. And he lists these things. It's not only sexual immorality, although this is the primary impetus because the man that is being described here or that gave reason for this instruction had sinned in a most egregious manner. He had his stepmother as his wife and they were boasting in that. And so he says, yes, a brother who is sexually immoral, but he also lumps in there those that are covetous. That is those who are greedy after money or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. He says, don't even eat with such a person. Some scholars have debated, well, what does it mean to eat with such a person? This text leaves it pretty broad. It's to have a common meal, that common place of acceptance, but it's also speaking concerning the Lord's supper, the Lord's table, that we are to separate. God uses banishment in the scriptures to judge his people but he does it as a means always to remind them of the place that they had in Christ and to bring them back. When we look in the book of Daniel chapter four and we look at Nebuchadnezzar and God had banished him from man and made him animal-like and it says that his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails, they grew like the claws of a bird. But it was after being in that state for some time that Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and he recognized the most high God. Or in the book of Ezra, in Ezra chapter seven, speaking of those who will not obey, he says, whoever will not obey, meet out the judgment, the punishment, that being either death, if it meets the requirements of the law, or banishment. So Paul would deal with this, with this church, that when God does that, when he sets out to separate this unrepentant sinner, it's always a means to bring that person back. But when we look at covetousness, covetousness is looked at in the same way. Paul writing to Christian leaders in 1 Timothy chapter three, when he gives this description of Christian leaders, he says that they should not be greedy for money. And Paul lived by his example and in his life in Acts chapter 20, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, He says, take heed and be aware of covetousness. Paul writing to the church at Colossae in chapter three, he says, put to death your members and listen to what he says. This is the command to that church. He says to put to death your members, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. This very thing is idolatry. Paul would go on to say in Ephesians chapter five, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, he says, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Hebrews 13 tells us to live without coveting. Be content with the things that we have. God is bringing us and he wants us to be in this place of discipline. This place of disciplining ourselves, dealing with sin in the camp. And why does he want that? Why is that so important? It's incredibly important because we do not want to be disqualified. We do not want to be disqualified from all that God has for us. And to live in the place of unrepentant sin, you cannot have confidence of your place in Christ. You will always live that life where you're questioning your faith, where you're questioning your salvation, where you're questioning whether or not that you've got this thing down. Paul spoke of that concerning his own life. In 1 Corinthians chapter nine, and we'll get there in several weeks, but Paul says this, he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The Lord doesn't want us to become disqualified. The church is a beacon of hope for those who are tired of sin. You think of that person who has lived their life their own way, they have given themselves over to all types of lascivious lifestyle. They have given themselves over to all kinds of substances. And when the enemy has run them into the ground, when they have gotten tired of the world, they look to the church, they look to the household of God. And if they see only a reflection of themselves, then where is hope? But they look to our lives, they look to the fact that we are living epistles to say that, is there really hope for me? This is one of the reasons that it's important that we would be able to comfort those in the manner that we were once comforted, that God brings us through the issue of sin. He redeems us and he wants our lives to be consecrated. And how miserable would that be to have a God who has no power to deliver us from the effects of sin? That we proclaim the name of Christ and yet we have no victory. We have no ability to defeat sin. And so the church is a beacon of hope to those who have come to that place where they say, I'm tired, I'm done, will you pray for me? And if the church is anemic and if the church is weak, the church will not have answers for that individual. Church discipline is the immune system for the body of Christ. It's the immune system. When we think of our bodies, when we think of a virus or bacteria that gets in there, our white blood cells, these antibodies, they come in and they begin to deal with that thing that which is toxic. Because the body knows that if this thing rests, the whole body will become sick. And so our body has this built-in immune system to deal with those topics, to deal with those things in our lives. And church discipline is like that for the body of Christ. That because it's like that yeast, it will begin to metastasize its way into the greater part of the body. And someone who may be a younger believer, who may be more immature in their faith, they might say, wow, they haven't dealt with this sin. It's out in the public. Well, maybe it's okay for me if I commit 
my sin or if I, or maybe it is okay for me to get drunk or maybe it is okay for me to live this way. But by doing that, by exercising church discipline, it functions and serves as an immune system, as a safeguard against all manner of unrighteousness. This is why church discipline is important. Church discipline is important because we are God's temple. God in the Old Testament, he would come and he would dwell in the tabernacle and he would meet the priests there and he would commune with Moses there. But in these days, he no longer dwells in buildings made of concrete and stone and cement, but he dwells in the individuals that make up the church. We are God's temple. God will not reside in a place that is riddled with sin. God's spirit will leave such a place. How do we know that? When we look back to Samson, and Samson was a man who was a Nazarite. In other words, he was the creme de la creme of religiosity, as it were. He was brought up in the way that he should have been. He was consecrated and set apart to the Lord. And yet Samson, time after time, he began to dabble in sin. He began to violate God's word. And he ended up in this place where he had violated God's command concerning the woman that he was romantically involved with. And one of the tragic things in Samson's life, when it came towards the end of his life, it says that the Spirit of God left Samson, and he did not know it. It is quite possible that God can leave the place of his people when there's unrepentant sin. And this is important because we want a church that is set apart. We want to be a fellowship, a body of believers who are set apart to the Lord, where he has a sanctuary, he has a place where he can come and dwell, where he says that there are two or more are gathered in his name. Well, he's there in the midst of them. But if we allow sin to overtake the congregation, to overtake our lives, well, then God won't be here. These chairs might be full. They might be filled with people, but God won't be here. God won't have part in that. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was given a vision from the Lord concerning the nation of Israel. And God had brought Ezekiel to the temple and he brought them into the inner courts and he gave them a vision, a peek behind the walls. And what the people were involved in was repeated sin. The elders were involved in repeated sin. And after he shows them where the sin is bad and then it gets worse and it gets worse and then God describes for us, or Ezekiel describes for us in that 10th chapter and it says the spirit left the temple. The spirit of God had left the temple in his people's day. So we need a place to come. We need a place to be set apart. We get so much of the world all week long when we come to the household of God, when we come together as a congregation, we want to be in a place that is set apart for the Lord, that is not common like every other place, where we can come and rest our weary souls. And this is the place where the prodigal can come and where the prodigal returns. And this is important here. When we get to the second chapter of the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, this man that is being spoken of here in the first chapter who had this relationship with his stepmother, it's believed that he's spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that the church had listened to Paul, they had exercised church discipline. And Paul speaking in the second letter concerning this man, he says this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man so that on the contrary, 
You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. This man was a part of the church, but he was living in sin. And they confronted him according to Paul's word. And because of the grief and because of the sorrow, there was a place of repentance for him. When this man came back to the household of God, when he came back to the fellowship, who do you think he knew loved him? Who really loved him? Those that were too afraid, too selfish to speak the truth and to allow him to possibly go on into a Christless eternity or the ones that spoke the truth, the difficult truth. But like that prodigal, he came back. Like that prodigal, he got to the end of himself and he says, I have greater in my father's house. Exercising church discipline, it's most uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And you will often find too that you will find other believers when you seek to be obedient to God's word, they will take offense with you being obedient to God's word. When you tell them that as a Christian, my child cannot go to your house because of the things that you watch on TV or because of the games that you allow. They would take offense because of the righteous stand that you want to make. Or you might say that, well, I cannot come to your house for dinner. I would love to, but there are things that you are a part of that I simply cannot entertain, that I simply cannot step into. Seeking to be obedient to the word of the Lord but speaking that truth. And may we know, may we be, may we do, may we always honor and obey God's word above whatever everybody else might say. Because to think that we know better in God is the height of arrogance. To think that we can look at God's instruction and say that it doesn't apply to us, we are not wiser than God, but church discipline will do that. So we want to honor God's decision. We are not more wise than him. And for that individual who is the recipient of church discipline, I would say this, faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That we will speak the truth in love even when it hurts. Because God spoke the truth in love so that we wouldn't have to hurt. And this is what he's calling us to be. That he says that those who practice these things, who are sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, he says not to even eat with such a person. In verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? God's gonna take care of the world. He's going to judge the world, but he wants the church to deal with itself. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Put away from yourselves that person that is practicing unrepentant sin. And this may cost you a relationship or two. This may cause someone to break away for months in some instances from years. But when it's all said and done, I want to be found having been obedient in Christ. 
If you're like most people, your life is probably full of appointments each day. We rush from one place to the next. It's easy to lose sight of what's important, connecting with Jesus. That's the vision for this radio ministry, Cross Connection Radio, to connect people just like you to the cross of Jesus Christ. We know that it's at the cross where everyone can be reconciled to God. And studying God's Word is another great way to connect with Jesus. But like I mentioned earlier, I know how easy it is to rush through each day and miss those opportunities to connect with Jesus. What if you could take Bible teaching like you've just heard here on Cross Connection Radio anywhere? Log on to CrossConnectionRadio.com and subscribe to the Cross Connection Radio podcast. Each week, new messages heard here on Cross Connection Radio and full-length messages taught by Pastor Jay are being added. Once you subscribe, you can take Cross Connection Radio with you anywhere. Again, to subscribe to the Cross Connection Radio podcast, log on to CrossConnectionRadio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today for this edition of Cross Connection Radio.